Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb, and as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. And Dustin, last week we said win and you're in. Well, they won. And Oklahoma State's far from done, man. Uh, a 23-0 shutout of Texas Tech in Lubbock. I mean, I, I think back to our score predictions. That didn't go any way you and I predicted. So, Dustin, I can't wait to get into this with you. How are you, man? Doing well. How are you? I, I'm great. I'm, I'm still kind of uh, buzzing from that defensive performance. I, <laughs> I didn't expect it. Uh, thought that they could potentially give Donovan Smith some problems. Um, but nothing like that, right? Nothing like 108 total yards of offense. Nothing like your first shutout since Savannah State in 2012. First conference shutout since Oklahoma in 1995, the year I was born. Um, so, I mean, we're literally talking about a historic defensive performance after what has been a series of historic defensive performance. And I think, you know, if you're a listener of this podcast, usually we start on the offensive side of the ball. And I think the offense had a lot to talk. We'll have a lot to talk about on the offense this evening. But at the same time, I think this whole team starts and ends with the defense. And so we have to start there, Dustin. I mean, what just what are your what are your takeaways? What were you thinking as you were watching what unfolded uh, in Lubbock on Saturday? Yeah, I completely agree. I think we have to start on the defensive side of the football. You know, Oklahoma State came out and they kind of went a way that we've seen some teams play Texas tech this year. They went with that kind of Iowa state three down with either Martin or Oliver on the edge or between the nose guard and the tackle, depending on where Knowles wanted them aligned. And then the three high safety look, or even sometimes they'd have Jason Taylor a little bit farther down and go too high. We've seen some teams do that against tech and basically make tech work their way down the field without committing any turnovers, busted plays, anything like that. And they just weren't able to do it with Donovan Smith. The Oklahoma State brought pressure at times, not a ton, but they did bring some. But Smith was just rattled. You could tell the whole, whole Texas Tech offense was rattled. There was a couple of times, I know one in particular, where he threw it about 30 yards down the field and there was nobody down there. Just some busted plays. And without, without Koontz, their tight end, they really struggled in their split zone running game. They really struggled just all around in their running game. They couldn't get anything going. And Oklahoma State's defensive line absolutely dominated this game. Yeah. So, Cade, let me take you through these PFF grades really quick for the D linemen. Tyler Lacey, it was his highest PFF graded game. Brendan Evers, it was his highest graded PFF graded uh, rated game. Antoine, second highest. Sione SC, second highest. Jaden Jernigan, fourth highest. Well, it's not shocking when you look back at the film, which we've been able to do, thankfully, uh, and then you just take one glance at the box score and you see Texas Tech 25 attempts for 26 yards rushing. 
for yeah. one one yard a carry essentially is what you're getting there um and it to to be honest that felt generous right because it was just that that performance up front i mean is is unlike one we've even seen up to this point uh, i i'm running out of words to say well it allowed oklahoma state to put more defensive backs back in the backfield because you saw donovan smith against Iowa state, all he wanted to do was air the ball out to, uh, as Eric, uh, as yep. And in this game, he threw it 20 plus yards down the field. What is that? 14 times and only completed one of them. Now there were a few pass interference in there, but 14 times, 20 plus yards on the field. That was obviously their game plan. And people have talked about maybe this is Oklahoma state's kryptonite because they play so much man coverage because they like to go single high, you can get one-on-one matchups with them on the outside. Well, despite the three-pass interference from Jared Bernard Converse, Oklahoma State's cornerbacks played really well in the deep balls. McAllister played well. Holmes, you saw Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad get in the mix. And honestly, Bernard Converse was in great position every time. He just got to turn around. He yeah. did play a few of them pretty well, especially one late in the game. I think he batted away on a deep ball. But Oklahoma State's defensive line made it to where the defensive backs can kind of just do whatever they want in the backfield and just cause more confusion well, and for that's, Smith and, because they played so well. And that's kind of what we talked about in the preview, right? We talked about how if they were able to get pressure, you would see a lot of um, mixing up of coverages on the back end. You know, you're not necessarily bringing, you know, five, six guys like, like Jim Knowles likes to do a lot. You're really confusing the quarterback with your coverage and uh, they were able to do that. I even think Colin Oliver or someone on the defense uh, made a, a tweet about that uh, on one of their highlights. The sack was basically caused by the coverage and a young quarterback not having much pocket presence whatsoever. And, um, you know, honestly, I, I was expecting a little bit more out of not necessarily Donovan Smith, but I was expecting more out of the tech skill players because we've seen it time and time again, no matter how, you know, good, bad tech is, they've got skill talent just like everybody else does in the Big 12. And they've got good skill talent in Sir Roderick Thompson and Eric Azukama. Eric Azukama didn't do anything last night. And and through and through two games in his career against Oklahoma State, I mean, that dude's had like 15 catches, 200 and something yards and uh, like several touchdowns. And he did nothing last night. Nothing. Cade, I feel like you read my notes. And I know you didn't, so I get did. out of my head. I didn't. That's a perfect segue to one of the main points I wanted to make about that, about the Oklahoma State defense. Listen to what they've done to the leading receiver on other Big 12 schools. So you've got, you just talked about Exukama, two catches for six yards on 48 <laughs> snaps, two catches for six yards. It's outrageous. He's our number one target for those exactly. keeping score at home. So, so everybody, everybody that I'm about to run through is the other team's leading receiver in yards. Kwame Laster for KU against OSU. He had two catches for 10 yards on 43 snaps. Thornton for Baylor, three catches for 52 yards on 54 snaps. Xavier Worthy, who's no longer with UT, but he's still their leading receiver in yardage. Five catches for 28 yards on 59 snaps. Winston Wright for West Virginia, three catches for 20 yards, 34 snaps. Philip Brooks for Kansas State, one catch, no yards, 37 snaps. Love this. I, Do you the, have more? The only, the only one, the only, the only receiver that really went off against OSU was Xavier Hutchinson. But one of the main reasons we talked about there was 
He was extremely physical. I think Oklahoma State underestimated that. And Charlie Kohler, they paid so much attention to him. They limited him, to, I think, to only about 60 yards receiving. And he, you saw what he did to OU at the end of the game this past weekend. So they just th – that was the one mess up there. But everybody else, they've completely dominated the other team's go-to receiver. Well, and I didn't, I didn't think Tech did a very good job. You know, we, we talked a lot, again, in the preview about – Donovan Smith appeared to throw a really nice deep ball and they went to it several times, as you've already mentioned. I didn't feel like they did a very good job of trying to get him in some design run situations. And frankly, maybe they probably wouldn't have worked, but they never really tried. And yeah, they really kind of OSU basically forced their hand is what it felt like they were dominating the line of scrimmage. So that way, I mean, even if you wanted to run with the quarterback, it probably wasn't going to go for much. Um, and then if they were to drop back and pass, you're able to rattle a really young quarterback who hasn't seen a defense like that. And I mean, shoot, it felt like as even as the game went on, it was like every series, it was like things got harder and harder and harder for them, which is kind of what we've talked about. And I actually think we talked about this last week, Dustin, not to keep referencing last week's pod, but I, I was kind of struck by this. Oklahoma State, if they can weather that first, you know, two, three series, give up three points, no points, you've seen a pattern here, whereas it gets later and later in the game, that defense tightens up and the clamps get put down a little bit harder at, with every series. And we noticed it last night and it was you could kind of see it just the momentum building towards the shutout and and it happens. But it was another one of those examples where. You know, they looked like and really tech never did anything. So this is this is really it was a flat domination the entire time. But what <laughs> we've seen is like they moved the ball a little bit at the beginning, like it looked like they were uh, going to do some trickeration, like they were going to push the ball down the field. I think on that third possession, they got all the way past midfield. And that was really the chunk, the bulk of their yardage all night was on that one drive. Um, and then the clamps just tightened. And they did nothing beyond that. And so really, I'm kind of looking towards Bedlam like, okay, Lincoln Riley, a great first quarter coach. We've talked about this before, and I'm not knocking him, but I've said this about OU for years. If you can get through that first quarter, you know, still in the game, you're going to have a chance because once they get through their script, things get harder for them. And if Oklahoma State's defense, that's the way they play too, man, it's an interesting matchup. But we're not going to get to Bedlam. We've got another episode coming out later this week on that. Dustin, I, yeah. I look at, you know, again, Brendan Edwards, Israel Antoine, Tyler Lacey, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver. I mean, the list goes on and on. Those guys just continue to do their job. And, I mean, what more can you say? You, you hit it. Right on the head. Gundy talked about it in his postgame presser. He said, quote, the truth is, I would think if I was on offense, eventually it, meaning the Oklahoma State defense, just kind of wears you out. <laughs> yeah, you hit it perfectly. And throughout the game, Tech, like you said, just wasn't able to do anything. Rushing yards on first down, they averaged 1.2. <laughs> they only gained 16 yards passing on first down. Their average, you know, I love this stat. Their average third down distance to go. 10.7 yards. That's wow. more than they started. Wow. That's more than they started. You start at first and 10. <laughs> they're ending at third and 10.7. And we've already had this stat once this year after the West Virginia game, but the fewest yards of total offense allowed by OSU since 2000. 
Tech just broke the record from West Virginia that broke the Savannah State record from 2012. <laughs> and it was the first shutout since that Savannah State game too. Just some of the stats that OSU put out post game are just insane. The Over the last four games, opposing offenses are seven of 54 or 13% on third down against the Oklahoma State defense. And it feels that way, right? It gets to third down against this defense. It's like, okay, good luck. I mean, it legitimately feels like that. I've never, I've never experienced this. So it's kind of rarefied air where like, I think back to when the offenses were just churning out points and touchdowns and first downs at will, like this feels like that completely flipped on its head. Like when that defense takes the field, it's like, you'd be surprised if somebody scored a touchdown, right? Like it would be a genuine surprise. And that's just a weird feeling. Just, I, I just keep looking at these stats. They're just insane. No red zone attempts for Texas Tech. They only, only 18% of their plays were run from OSU side of the field. And I'm pretty sure in the first half, it was like 2% of their play. I think they had like two plays on OSU side of the field. Just, and we saw one thing that was really cool that stood out to me on film is we saw a lot of the uh, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver in at, at the same time with the one single hand down defensive lineman. So they, they obviously knew they could get past the Texas Tech offensive tackles. And we saw it because I, I said, you know, Oklahoma State, I have them down as eight times rushing five or more on passing downs. I think PFF also has it for eight. But they were able to get pressure with three and four. And when you have that Oliver Martin package and you're able to get pressure on somebody with just rushing three, two of them being those guys who are absolute madmen off the edge, it just leaves – you're just able to do so much in the defensive backfield. And we saw a great mix of man and zone from Knowles. We saw some more of that coverage switch. I'll put some more of those videos out on Twitter, but I don't know how anyone, especially a guy only starting his second game in college could perform well against this defense. Well, one of my favorite parts of that game was when they went from Donovan Smith to their backup in Baron Morton. I was like, that'll (laughs) fix it. (laughs) Like, what, what did you think was going to happen there? One, one thing that I noticed, too, is it wasn't for lack of trying against Tech. I mean, you already noted that 14 downfield passing attempts. They ran several little gadget plays, um, several trick plays, and a lot of it was, you know, sideline to sideline. The speed of Oklahoma State's linebackers, Devin Harper particularly, is startling at times because it's like you've got a, a running back who's, who's got a step just naturally, because he knows where he's going. And how many times last night did a play go into the boundary and get stopped behind the line of scrimmage heading out of bounds? It was oh, it yeah. was several. I didn't mark it down, but it was several times. It's just like the speed of those guys in the run game is overwhelming, and it has overwhelmed five teams in a row. Yeah, they were just – they were so awesome. The defensive line was great. Like you said, Malcolm and – Malcolm and Devin were great. Something else cool that, that I think was really confusing Texas Tech is OSU would start, like I said, with the three high safety look. And they Jason Taylor's normally kind of in the middle, maybe a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. He and Devin Harper would run up to the line of scrimmage right before the snap and give you more of like a five or six close to the line of scrimmage look. That was pretty interesting. I don't think I've seen them do that very many times this season. And then something else that stood out to me is Tyler Lacey and Colin Oliver were standing up edges on the same side multiple times. I, I also don't remember seeing that. My memory could just be bad, but some cool things Knowles threw out there. And just they're able, we've talked about it. The Oklahoma State defense 
is so high IQ. Jim Knowles watches all coaches do, but Jim Knowles is just so good at in-game adjustments, throwing in little wrinkles. They have so much stuff out there on film now for other teams that I don't know how you practice and plan for all of it. It's just so much. Because you could get, and again, you're, you're seeing things in game 11 that you've never seen before. So it's like, what else do they have up their sleeve? And because they're so veteran, you could throw something into the game plan this week. And I mean, even Kobe Harville-Peel said this a few weeks ago, like Jim Knowles will come into a, a practice with a new play, like, or a tweak on an old play every week. And the guys will look at him like, coach, are you serious? Like you're out of your mind, but they trust him. They believe in him. And then what you see is something like that, where you've got Jason Taylor and Devin Harper doing something you've never seen. Colin Oliver doing something you've never seen. You got to wonder how much of that was to try to, again, startle a young quarterback who literally looked like a deer in, in the headlights, like I've never seen against an Oklahoma State defense. And, you know, one thing that was interesting to me, I've already mentioned that I was surprised they didn't try to run him more. I got I to gotta pat myself on the back a little bit for this comp that I gave Donovan Smith. I was listening to the pregame radio show, and Tanner McAllister, you literally just uh, made this dawn on me. Tanner McAllister compared Donovan Smith to Cam Newton. And I said that as well. He did not look like Cam Newton on Saturday. Um, frankly, unlike it was just a complete night and day performance from what we saw against Iowa State to to on Saturday against Oklahoma State. But that again, man, just those linebackers and secondary working in unison where, you know, sometimes you've got two linebackers out there, five defensive backs, typically how they do things. Right. But they, they just work so well together. And it's very clear that they're playing I mean, again, they're getting better as the year goes on, and we've said that. And I thought at some point they'd hit a plateau, but if they're not, they're just they're still getting better. Yeah, I completely agree. And you could see we talked about it a little bit earlier, but their game plan was to get as a combo matched up on Jark Bernard Converse, and it worked out with those three defensive PI calls. But other than that, they weren't able to really do anything, and they since they weren't able to run the ball, I don't think they had, I think that was their game plan. Try to establish the run and then take some deep shots and they weren't able to do either. And I think Sonny Cumbie and the rep and the coaching staff just had nothing else planned. And with their offensive line getting dominated by the Oklahoma state defensive line, I just don't really think they knew what to do. And well, so you turned into desperation heaves at the <laughs> later on in the game. You think about, I mean, the first series of that game, I mean, you're getting their best shot on the first series. You're getting the scripted plays, what they watched in film and thought, this is what we're going to give you guys that you're not going to see coming. And that series went incomplete pass, sack, sack. <laughs> and, and that's when it was like, okay, well, I, I don't know what else they're going to be able to do. And then the very next possession, they come out with a little gadget play on the first snap and it goes for like a loss of four. It's like, well, this is, this is just going to be one of those nights, I guess. And um, again, I'm running out of superlatives, but that, that unit itself is again, I mean, can I, I'm going to say something behind the Georgia defense and maybe the Ohio state offense. I don't know a better, more dominant, consistent unit in all of college football than Oklahoma state's defense. I don't think that's that absurd of a statement. I mean, and they, show me anything they're, else. They're so good and they have so much. Set up. Guys like Corey Black come in and you're like, why doesn't that guy start? And it's, oh, because they have so many guys. Well, that's the thing. 
that's what gives me great excitement going forward is it's like, yeah, this team is senior heavy, veteran heavy. They've got guys like that all over the freaking place. So I can't wait. I, I hope they I, I tweeted it out today that Jim Knowles, they better sign, let him sign a blank check because at this point I, I've seen enough, right? The dude, I love him. the dude walks around with the travel humidor and just lights one up in the Texas Tech parking lot after the game. It's like how this guy's more stillwater than I even expected. He's fantastic. Um, Dustin, anything else on the defense? I mean, again, we've we've talked superlatives. Any box score, you know, notes that you made, uh, anything that jumps out at you? I don't think so. I think we covered them all. There's just so many amazing stats from this game about the shutout and number of sacks. I know they're, I think they're 41 sacks puts them at fifth most in school history by a team, I believe. Sheesh. Okay. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm looking at Donovan Smith's QBR of 13 last night. It's just, it kind of makes me sad, man. I mean, I would not, I really would not want to be a, quarterback against this defense right now um anyway running out of things to say but dustin before we move on to the offense let's go ahead and hear a word from one of our sponsors all right big day for the feels like 45 podcast in the 1012 network as we welcome a brand new sponsor homefield apparel into the family of sponsors for this podcast in the 1012 Network. I mean, if you're not familiar with Homefield Apparel by now, uh, you should be. You can follow them on Twitter, uh, but you you got to check out the website. They've got vintage college sports apparel with over 100 teams. You can get T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. And again, that's over 100 college teams with new ones added all the time. More importantly for you guys, listeners of this podcast, if I know my demo, you're Oklahoma State fans, and they've got a great selection of Oklahoma State stuff on the website right now. And we, on this podcast, have a promo code, FEELS12, that'll get you 15% off your first order with Homefield Apparel. It's correct. I'm not lying to you. 15% off your first order, FEELS12. Use that promo code and know that all orders over $100 get free shipping. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The website's got some unbelievable stuff. I've got my eyes on this Pistol Pete sweater, uh, a little bit of crew neck. I'm, go- I'm thinking gray for the fall. may look pretty dope. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. So anyway, do not forget to use that promo code FEELS12. I mean, 50% off a t-shirt, sweater, hoodie of that quality. You can't go wrong. I mean, I kind of looking at this Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, Tulane Green Wave. They got some good stuff there. Don't miss out. Don't hesitate. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code FEELS12 to get yourself 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping. Okay, welcome back, Dustin. I mean, obviously, defense captured the storylines, but the offense really dominated the time of possession in this game. You know, 38 minutes to 23. I saw a lot of interesting things, um, very simple game plan to me. It appeared that they wanted to run as much as possible, not let Spencer Sanders uh, do try to do too much and get out of there with a win. It's what it looked like to me. What did you see? Yeah, well, coming into the game, we got to talk about Gundy said it in his postgame presser. Josh Sills didn't practice. Danny Godlewski didn't practice. Brennan Presley didn't practice. Jalen Warren didn't practice and Braden Cassidy didn't practice. And even Logan Carter, he said, didn't practice. 
So you come into the game, Tyrese Williams is starting for Josh Sills. Um, Joe Mahalski starting for Danny Godlewski at center. Williams plays 13 snaps, goes down. They bring Hunter Anthony in for one play, and then that series ended, and Sills must have said, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah. So Sills comes out there. You can see he played well, but you can see his foot, that plantar fasciitis was, was, fasciitis was bothering him because he was struggling to kind of keep with his blocks. You could see he was struggling with some of the linebackers when he had to get to the second level. So when you're down all these guys, not a lot of depth at Cowboy back. We saw a lot of Blaine Green in that H-back spot again. They actually went a couple series with Blaine Green at in the H-back spot split zone without Logan Carter out there. So we saw a lot of Logan Carter with Blaine Green last game. Yep. This game we saw a lot of Blaine Green as basically the cowboy back. So for, when my stats come out, I'm still counting him as a wide receiver because that's what he's listed as when I do the personnel groupings. But that was pretty cool. But Gundy even said it. Basically with all those industries, Casey Dunn needed to figure out how to run some clock and find ways to score keyword enough points. <laughs> so like you said, that's, that's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. They stuck to their zone. They stuck to their zone running game. The cutbacks worked again, a lot of rushing yards on cutbacks through the middle of the field. And then Sanders was trying to get it to Tay Martin whenever he could, and then find some other gaps in the Texas tech defense. They played a lot of single high man coverage. They shaded the safety over to Tay's side. We've seen pretty much every team shade a safety over like that to Tay recently. I'm sure OU will do the same. Yep. Nice kind of practice for OU too, because we know they play a lot of man and tech played a lot of man in this one. When they switched to zone, I think Sanders, two of his longest completions on the day were when tech switched to zone. So it was a lot of that. I mean, not, not a lot of super interesting stuff, but I kind of like that for this game right before Bedlam, especially when you have some injuries, don't put a ton of stuff on film. I know it's pretty far along in the season. So you, they've already got a lot, but I think I think they did just enough to win. It it was definitely one of the more boring games to watch this season. It, it was one of the more boring games to watch in several years on on mm-hmm. the offensive side of the ball. I would say, and again, I I think a lot of that may have been by design, as you said, with the injuries, um, Sills and Godlevsky. I mean, that's a that's a problem, and it's a problem going forward. Obviously, we're we're recording this on Sunday night. We don't know the status of those guys going into Bedlam. So when you hear our our Bedlam podcast later in the week we're still not gonna know um and so that's gonna be an extremely interesting thing to keep an eye on and i and again i don't want to get too ahead of myself because we'll break that down uh, in our next podcast uh, for ou but i will be very interested to see how they if one if sills and godlevsky or a combination of the two are healthy how healthy are they um because it's clear that it impacts the run game more than anything i thought in pass protection Mahalski looked great at times. I mean, really was, was great on snaps. You probably have some advanced analytics that we can talk to talk about, but in pass protection, generally I thought the offensive line looked good enough, um, allowed Sanders to stand upright. Didn't seem like he was rushed ever most of the time. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, affects things going forward. But, you know, it was great to see Blaine green at the Cowboy back spot. I mean, I, <laughs> To me, he's a matchup problem going forward. Anybody we play against, you know, I mean, guy of that size, that speed, he's a natural wide receiver. I can't wait to see what they've got up their sleeve for OU 
we've never really had a weapon like that in that spot. Um, I would imagine they've held on to some stuff. Just, just what I'm thinking, especially as you see him develop in that slot. But um, you know, as you already mentioned as well, lots of yardage on cutbacks. Didn't see Jalen Warren for much of the second half at all. Um, I actually missed the injury walking into a different restaurant. Looked like he may have taken a knee to the helmet. Is that, am I, am I, yeah, I think it's just nagging injuries with Warren. Gundy said after the game he wasn't 100%. I, I think he'll be a go for Bedlam. I expect Sills will play. I think Godlefsky and Cassidy may be out again based on, based on just what I've heard. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully they're, they're able to practice this week. But I'm not sure on Tyrese Williams' status, so we'll see there. But kind of, kind of going back to your point about um, some of the analytics on those guys – I don't always 100% trust PFF on their on their offensive line grades, but Mahalski, I noted a couple of times in the run game where he struggled and he yeah. actually graded out as the lowest graded offensive player on PFF, and that was driven primarily by his run blocking. And Tyrese Williams, only in his 13 snaps, he was graded as the second lowest on PFF, again, mainly due to the run blocking. So both of those guys struggled. I, I can maybe put some of those on Twitter the film uh, reflects that 100%. Yeah, don't, don't always love to call out some of the negative things, but Mulholski definitely struggled. But they were still able to get some things done on the ground. We saw we saw Dom come in. He averaged 4.2 yards per carry, 20 attempts, 84 yards. Jalen Warren, only 3.1 on his 12 attempts. But Sanders, another game where he gets about 50 yards rushing, averaging about eight a carry. We saw that zone bluff work for him where the Cowboy back comes across fakes that trap block on the edge player and comes out and takes the first second level defender where Sanders kind of meshes with the running back for split zone and keeps it himself following that cowboy back. That play worked a couple of times. I actually saw a little pin and pull yeah. quarterback design run. That was cool where basically what that means is whoever's on whatever offensive linemen don't have a defensive lineman over them or covering them. They'll pull around the edge and Sanders will follow them kind of like a sweep play. So that was kind of cool to see. And then he did well to scramble a few times. So uh, not a not like the most dominant rushing game we've seen, but they were still able to do a few things. And we'll see, like, if, if they're not full strength offensive line going against OU's defensive line, that could be tough. But I, I think more on the fact than just the overall blocking, Casey Dunn mentioned it in his uh, presser after the game. It was just some execution issues by the offense. There was the drive where I believe there was a holding and a false start on the same drive. Yep. We saw we – we've talked about those pre-snap uh, pre coverage reads that Sanders will make. Well, basically, if he likes the matchup with the receiver, he'll throw it, and you'll still see the offensive line and running back. They'll still run a running play, but there's not really a play action. It's kind of like a quick read he makes pre-snap. There was one specific instance where him and Bray had a complete miscommunication. He – is looking over to Bray to throw the football over there. Jaden Bray's taken off down the field, and I, it's off coverage. I think Spencer was expecting him to run a quick hitch. So just things like that. We saw a couple uh, – we saw the not enough men on the line of scrimmage. Yep. Blaine Green, our guy, we love him, needs to scoot up a little bit when he's got his hand on the ground and get on the line of scrimmage <laughs> so they can get seven on there. So that was kind of a thing that stuck out, stuck out to me on offense. I don't know if you how much you noticed that, Katie, but that's something I – haven't seen from the offense in a it, few games well i mean again I, I think last night's game was frustrating uh at at several moments in the game one you know i i never really like 
disliked the play calling. There was that first series on third and goal from the eight yard line. They go draw again. I don't know if that's a read or if that's a design play, but there was just several times where it's like, Oh, if they could just like get out of their own way, there were several drops. I mean, Tay, Tay drops a, a walk-in touchdown. I mean, he's standing open in the end zone and it hits him in the one. I mean, there, there were things like that. As you mentioned, Green's penalty. Um, it, it just felt like one of those games where they were not um, comfortable getting out of their own way. And it kind of felt, honestly, like one of those classic Mike Gundy road wins where it's ugly, it's not going to be pretty. And I think even at, at, at some point in the game, he's probably like, let's just get out of here with a win. I mean, I look back at, you know, <laughs> I tweeted that Squinky ripped off Jaden Bray's cleat cleat because they ran that little um throwback pass to john paul richardson on on second down in the in the red zone and bray's running wide open and the turf just reaches up and takes his cleat off and at that point i'm like oh we'll just win by one because this is just one of those funky games and you know end up you end up winning 23 nothing so i'm not complaining about any anything here i'm just saying it was one of those sloppy games um, from the offense that you're just kind of thankful to get out of there with the win that you got in my, in my mind, you know, and they, and they ended up racking up 430 yards of offense. So it's like, there are things that I mi- am missing, like, and I noticed this in the, in the rewatch. I mean, they're automatic on those quick slants, automatic on those hitch routes, especially with Tay Martin. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic route runner. We've talked about this several times. Um, but beyond that, there were just, again, some execution issues, which now that, now that I've heard, that being said, it resonates a lot with me because that's kind of what I was feeling. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and to your point, it, it was like they were shooting themselves in the foot at times because you go back to my favorite stat, the average down distance to go on third down, 5.7. They were doing well on first down, I think 4.2 yards per rush on first down. Six of nine on third and four or less. They had 11 plays go for 15 plus yards. I I didn't go look this up. I should have, but that has to be close to the most they've had this season. Besides like the KU game, a lot of plays over 15 yards. They had a lot of big passing plays. Tay Martin goes for 130 yards. We talked about his two drops, but they just, there were, they just weren't able to convert for touchdowns when they got into the red zone, five of six on red zone attempts. You want to be, you want to be six of six. You want to be a hundred percent. OSU's done a good job of getting to a hundred percent multiple games this season, but you know, only two touchdowns of the, of that. And the other three were field goals. We have the, we have the Jaden Bray slant route when they're down in the red zone. I'm not sure what was going on there. If Bray breaks that off a three yard slant route, not only does Spencer not have to throw it over that defender who jumped in his face, he's got a better throwing window, but that safety's not going to make it there. He only right. got there because Bray took it too far up the seam. And maybe that's what he was looking for, but I don't know what that route is. So I, I think it needed to be a slant there. You've got, speaking of batted ball, Spencer, he, he's awesome at pump faking. I mean, maybe pump fake that. I know some of these routes are timing routes, so that doesn't always work, but he's got to find a better way to get to, the, get to a good throwing window. Later in the game, he was able to, we saw a defender jump and he kind of threw it sidearm. I think Bray ended up dropping the pass, though, on that one. I can't remember specifically, but the batted balls, that's going to be a problem because I think OU is going to see that on film, and their defensive linemen are athletic and talented enough to get their hands up. So Spencer's got to do a better job of opening up his own throwing windows there, and he's got 
the arm strength and talent to throw from different, he can release the ball from different release points. So we've seen him do that. So he just needs to do a better job of that, but not, not really able to hit a lot of stuff down the field. But like, like you were saying, it seemed like there were drives that could have converted into touchdowns and they just kind of kept, you know, losing a shoe or right. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I count uh, from the two field goals inside the red zone. So they, again, they kicked two field goals inside. I think they're on 15 and a drop touchdown from Tay Martin. I mean, you're, you're taking off basically 14 points right there uh, just in the blink of an eye with, you know, with two field goals, obviously you would have gotten seven on both of those. So, I mean, you're looking at literally a, a 37 to nothing win, which probably has a lot of people feeling a lot different about this game. I mean, I, again, I, I think that the storyline from top to bottom is the defense. I think the offense did what they needed to do um, to get a win, to get a comfortable win. That game was never in doubt. But you would have just liked to see a little bit cleaner execution, especially going into this game against OU, where defense is looking like they're playing pretty well right now. So it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and you could tell, like we said, that that was the game plan. Gundy even pretty much admitted in the postgame presser. He said, we ate a lot of clock in the second half, particularly in the middle of the third quarter until the end of the game. We should have eaten more clock. That, that's what they wanted to do. He even, he even mentioned that some of the pass plays in the second half, w- which I noticed as well, were some RPOs and some of those pre-snap reads where Spencer decided to throw it, but he would have liked to even run it more. But obviously those plays have an option in there. So you could tell that was their game plan, especially with all the injuries. Gundy mentioned it twice, obviously, like, like talking about early that the two things that Casey Dunn needed to do. But yeah, you just got to convert more touchdowns in the red zone. There was those execution issues. I I did actually think, like you mentioned at the beginning of kind of us talking about the offense, I did think that the offensive line actually protected pretty well against, or better than they have at times this season against some of those stunts and some of those blitzes from the second level, because Tech pretty much does that almost every time they're they're rushing the passer. And I thought they handled that pretty well. And you, you mentioned Mahalski. I thought he did a pretty good job of knowing when to kind of send off the defender and when to pick one up when they're going on these twists and stunts. So it's a lot huge. of good things there. It's huge coming up. And that's, that's really why I drew that line. Like, again, the film shows that the run game was effective, but inefficient is the best way I can describe that it worked, but it didn't work very well. Um, but in pass protection, they, they, and several times, I mean, that there was actually that touchdown pass to John Paul Richardson. It's actually a beautiful job. If you go back and watch that play of Josh Sills and Mahalski passing a defender off to each other, and both of them just stand them up where they're standing. And Spencer's got, you know, maybe the cleanest pocket he's had all night. And he delivers a strike to John Paul Richardson, and it's a touchdown when they needed it. So my point to that, why that bodes well, is OU stunts all the time. And, and there's a little bit greater talent level there with Nick Benito, Perry on Winfrey. They're, they're going to have their hands full in the interior with that OU defensive line. And they do that a ton. They stunt a lot. They don't bring a ton of pressure. I mean, it's, it's interesting how, you know, a lot of these teams, the pressure that they're trying to create is with stunts. It's not necessarily with amount of people coming at you. Um, so I will be very interested to see how they hold up because the, the fact that they were able to do that against the tech defensive line, that really is their strength. I mean, that's, that's the strength of their football team is that defensive line, which is wild to think about with Texas tech, but that's, they've been consistent all year. They held up very well in my mind in pass protection. Yeah. And speaking of Mahalski struggling in the run game, 
he's going up against Jalen Hutchins and Devin right. Drew, who are two talented defensive linemen for Texas dude, Tech. Hutchins is a monster. Yeah. So it, we kind of, you know, we kind of said he struggled, but those are two tough guys to go against when you're a younger offensive lineman who's not been starting the entire season. And to your point, we, we haven't even talked about it yet, but John Paul Richardson playing for Brandon Presley, who was right. banged up. I talked about how he didn't practice all week. He was back there fair catching punts, but wasn't able to do anything on offense. And you could tell that was another kind of execution issue. The pass you're talking about that they hit John Paul Richardson on for the touchdown. They were in the exact same route pattern earlier in the game. Sanders over it, bad throw from Sanders. there, kind of overthrew him. But also, I think Richardson needed to take that route a little bit farther upfield. And yep. You see him do that the second time, and Sanders puts it right on the money. So that's just it's just more guys being out, and not to blame it all on that. But those are things, you know, when you're having to practice with guys you haven't practiced with all season, it's tough, and you're going to see some of these execution issues. So I, it might be a good time too, Kate, unless you had anything else to kind of segue into Sanders. What did you think of his play? Well, I, th- I thought he played well. I think I think a drop touchdown uh... – helps the stat line. I think there were a few drops from Tay that were um, interesting that probably changed some things. Um, Overall, he made one really bad decision and it was that late throw. Wait for it across the middle. It's that play that has bitten him so many times and it, and it had it worked out for tech, it would have been a pick six at a really bad point in the game. And Oklahoma state got lucky that it didn't happen that way. Um, I thought he played a, a clean game for the most part. Again, took what the defense gave him, but that one stands out because it's like, Spencer, that is the exact play that has bitten you so many times. You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about the one to green? Yeah, it was, it was Blaine Green and it was third down and it was uh, Spencer's rolling out to the right and Blaine Green's rolling with him. And it basically gets jumped by the corner who's, who's kind of, you know, pulling leverage from behind Blaine Green. So he's got an angle and he jumps the route. He was there the whole way. Spencer just was late with the throw. Yeah, the, the problem with that play is I'm not sure why Spencer left the pocket. <laughs> he had Green on that dig route across the middle. It looked like the pocket was kind of collapsing around him. And, you know, I don't have the angle from directly behind the quarterback, but going back on rewatch, I think he could have let that ball fly when Blaine made his break on that dig route across the middle, and he probably would have had him there. Again, I don't have the all 22, but I didn't think he needed to bail out of the pocket. He definitely didn't need to throw that one. Also, the one that he threw, he was also rolling out of the pocket again. He threw back across his body to the middle to Tay Martin. Tay probably could have caught it. He looked worried about taking a hit, but that rolling out, throwing back across the middle, that's a quarterback no-no. And that's something we've seen Sanders do in the past that he really hasn't done this season, to your point. But that those two passes, I, I did not. I Both of those were things we haven't seen from Sanders these past few weeks, and I did not like either of those. No, that's that's that you're you're speaking my language, and I, I we're the fact that we're to the point where we're kind of dissecting a couple of bad plays that didn't end up costing you anything. It says a lot about his development that you know he he's come this far. We don't expect that anymore. At least I don't. It's like he hasn't done that in six weeks, and then you see it in a game like that, and it's like. Spencer, you know better than that. And I and I even guarantee you he is beat he beats himself up over something like that because it's been hammered into his head for for 3 years now. Do not make that throw. And you know one of my favorite plays last night 
was a rollout. Spencer got flushed out of the pocket. I want to say this was in the second quarter, so still kind of a tight ball game. Gets flushed out of the pocket, and he's behind the line of scrimmage, and it looks like he's going to go out of bounds and take the sack. And he sees Jalen Warren coming back towards him. And as the very last second, like literally he's got a foot over the sideline, he just flips it out, <laughs> out of bounds. It's like he a year ago would have ran straight out of bounds with that ball. He's gotten so much better at knowing when to throw it away and when to take his own L and when to, you know, be aggressive with the play. Again, we saw that only twice last night uh, and it didn't end up biting him. So I'm not going to hammer him for that. And again, Tay, Tay needs to catch the ball, man. Yeah. So the two draws from Tay, I think there was three throwaways. He's got the miscommunication with Bray on that slant in the end zone. He's got the miscommunication with Bray on the pre-snap leverage read. He's got, I think there was three batted passes or two. Well, I think there were two on one drive. Yeah. (laughs) And then the deep, I think there was two deep balls down the sideline. He's throwing to Bray that both of them end up out of bounds. I think Bray needs to give him a little bit more room. Spencer's trying to throw it back over his shoulder and Bray's not really giving him enough room to throw it close to the sideline to where he can make that catch. So I think that's more miscommunication. We had the John Paul Richardson Sanders miscommunication. So it's 19 incompletions. But when you take out, I don't know how many I just said, maybe like 10, 11 of them, you're looking at maybe eight actual incompletions and maybe only three or four of those were actually bad reads. So more than we've seen from him recently, but also he threw it more in this game than we've seen from him recently. Yeah, so 39 attempts. Yeah, so I, I still think it was an overall solid game. Probably if I had to grade him on his past like five performances, this one may be near the bottom. Is that too much? No, I would think so too, just because it 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 wasn't over overly efficient. Um, he made several mistakes. Um, again, you're just thankful it didn't bite you. And again, he's played so well that it's it's not necessarily a knock to say that. Like he's he's been the most consistent quarterback in the Big 12 like the last six weeks. So yeah, again, I don't think we're knocking him by saying that. No, I agree. He, he got a little funny with his footwork. He got a little bit of pressure on him, even, even though tech wasn't blitzing heavy, they were able to get some pressure on him. You saw a couple as Gundy would say, no hitters. So <laughs> got him a little knocked off, but I didn't think he looked rattled really. And he does get a lot of help and pass throw from his guy, Jalen Warren, that dude, destroys defensive linemen when they come through all that. <laughs> it's unbelievable Untouched. i would be scared come so, i know jalen warren's not a huge man and some of these defensive linemen are monsters but he knocks them backwards almost knocks them off their feet when he lands his shoulder i them. think i think it's kind of like i think defensive linemen are surprised at how strong he is it's why he breaks tackles it could be why he consistently knocks dudes on their butt when they come into the into his zone uh, in pass protection. But he's so good, and I love watching it when a defensive lineman or a linebacker stunts his way. I'm like, okay, here we go. There's going to be a big hit. It's just every time he's rock solid in that in that regard. You know, Dustin. Before we wrap up on the offense, what do you think of Dominic Richardson? I thought he had a really nice game. Twenty carries, so, eighty four yards. He's so awesome. He's such a hard runner and. He's not like a head down, just run over the guy in front of him. He's a good zone running back like Warren is. He's able to be patient. He's able to hit the holes. And his acceleration, it it may be faster than Warren. He's able to get to his top speed, I think, 
a little bit quicker than any, any of the other backs on the team. I don't know if he's the fastest. Nixon may be faster, but he's able to get to his high gear really quickly after he gets past the line of scrimmage or even at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I mean, he resembles Chris Carson's running style so much. Just the way he puts one foot in the ground to change directions. Um, he's not shifty, um, but he's he's elusive for his size. I mean, 6'1", 200 pounds, he's a big guy, not over the top fast. But I, again, you kind of nailed it. Acceleration is, is probably the best way to describe it because he sticks one foot in the ground to change directions. And he gives you one little shoulder fake and, and you're going to have a tough time bringing him down. Like he just runs so freaking hard. And, and he's not afraid to hit somebody in pass protection either. Either right. I think that's why he gets so many snaps, along with him being a great running back. He might be the second best pass pro blocking back on the team because I think he's better than Desmond Jackson. I haven't really seen much from the other guys. I know LD wasn't really one of his strengths, and he's not in right now anyway. But Richardson will – lay a shoulder into some defensive linemen too. No, hundred percent. I thought it's, it's good to know you've got that with him in case something happens with Warren down the road. And, you know, thinking about next season where Richardson's probably going to be the feature back of this offense. It's really good to know you've got that level of athlete back there. I'll be interested to see what his role looks like in Bedlam, assuming Jalen Warren is completely back and healthy um, because he's such a nice compliment to Warren. They're just two different yeah. styles of, of running backs, but both, you know, physically imposing. He really is. I think, Cade, I, I think I went through all my notes. So thank you for letting me talk that much. But hey, I think no the problem. only other thing I think the only other thing I had that was cool that I know you probably noticed as well, because we like to talk about that pre-snap motion. They kept coming out in a diamond formation, yep. which you had talked about with Blaine Green being in the diamond. And they would look over to the sideline and motion into something else. They never actually ran a play out of it. But it was cool, and I think it kind of threw Tech off guard because they hadn't shown Blaine Green in the diamond formation yet, I don't think, on film, maybe like once in the game before. That may be one to stick a, a pin in for next week. You'll be interested to see if they were teasing Blaine Green at that point. Uh, it will be really interesting to see when they snap the ball with him in the diamond because mm -hmm. you may send those over-aggressive OU linebackers into a, a frenzy when he takes off down the field. Again, Matchup nightmare in Blaine Green and had just a ridiculous sideline catch last night. Just yeah. dude, dude is is fantastic, and I, He's I my can't, favorite player. I can't I'm believe him and his brother are true freshmen. It's and, insane. And maybe one one last storyline before we go because we're already going too long on the offense. But one thing that I couldn't get out of my head last night was the freshman playmakers: John Paul Richardson, Blaine, and Bryson Green. Um, Jaden Bray with in with the ball in his hands is Justin Blackman like. I mean, he for as tall and as big as he is, he is a load in the open field. He's the best blocking wide receiver I think they've had in a while. You as saw him freshman. open that. You saw him on the perimeter for the Sanders touchdown. Uh, every time they threw a screen pass to John Paul Richardson, I'm pretty sure it was to Bray's side. He's, he's just he's very he gets his hands on somebody and they can't they can't get free. And it's not I mean, he's not holding. He's just so strong. Yeah. Again, I, it's really the last thing I wanted to bring up. But I mean, it's it's really good to see that this young core of receivers and young talent is, is something to keep an eye on. Because, I mean, John Paul Richardson looked like he's a I mean, a, a third year guy out there. 
He needs to run that first round a little deeper, like you mentioned, but he looks like he knows what he's doing. Hey, and let him catch the punts. Well, we got Presley back there. Fair yeah, catch it every if time. If Presley's hurt, let him go. I mean, I, I, I and Presley he makes was me catching nervous him at that practice. I'm not going to lie to you. Presley, Presley catches it over his shoulder. He catches it falling forward. It's like, dude, get under the ball because you're making me have a heart attack. I watched John Paul Richardson catch plenty of punts at that practice I went to in the spring. I know he's more than capable and he's shifty. <laughs> he is shifty. Well, it was a great performance. I mean, I, I don't think we were hard on the offense. I think we would have loved to see a little bit more execution. Uh, it's a great uh, John Gruden quote. I want to see better execution. <laughs> we need to add that to the soundboard when we get it. Cause that one, that one's going to have staying power, but Dustin, uh, before we move on, I think we're going to talk a little bit of hoops, get some listener questions. Let's hear a word from another one of our sponsors. There's a specific set of rules I live by, and one of those is that no tailgate is complete without a grill. No tailgate of mine, at least. And I know that no grill is complete without Gridiron Metalworks. Uh, these guys are fantastic. If you haven't heard of them, take a look. They do great work. They do collegiate-branded grill grates, griddles, flower pots, stainless steel bookends, coasters, can coolers, and it's all in Oklahoma State school colors. I don't know if you've been walking through the store before. You see something with the Oklahoma State logo, but it really resembles the suit that Lloyd wore in Dumb and Dumber. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even close. But these guys at Gridiron Metalworks, they nail the color. And with their products, you know, with their grill grates, you can sear your steak, burgers, brats, veggies, and they give you the perfect pistol peat mark every time. Plus, in addition to all that, this is the perfect gift to shop for. I know we got the holidays coming up right around the corner, and you probably know somebody in your life who you need something to buy something for, whether it's a boss, family member, coworker, whatever it may be. I bet you know who they like, what team they support, where they went to school, and I bet they're a Big 12 school. And if they are, every single Big 12 school has a product through Gridiron Metalworks. So go check them out. Um, these are high quality, custom cut, made in the United States. And right now, when you use the promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if my wife's listening. I want one of these. Speaking of you know, somebody that's hard to purchase for, that's me. I know I do not have a Pistol Pete grill grate on my grill, but I wish I did. And uh, maybe she's standing outside the door listening to me. I could, I could only help. But again, right now, use the promo code FEELS12 and you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a very generous offer and very thankful for that. I'm wondering if I can use my own promo code. I'll have to run that up the flagpole. Uh, the kicker, all orders over 100 bucks get free shipping. And so if you're a K-State fan, a West Virginia fan, uh, and you're looking for a grill grate, griddle, or a unique metal home good for your collection, just visit gridironmetal.com and use our promo code FEELS12 for 15% off your first order. All right, Dustin, a little bit of a bounce back week for Oklahoma State hoops, right? With, with two wins over UMass Lowell and North Carolina State. Uh, obviously, the, the UMass Lowell one's to be expected, but NC State, pretty surprising performance, I thought, especially the way that game started out. NC State jumped out to a 9-0 lead and after what we saw against Oakland the week before, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. This seat, and I was even having, you know, concerns about the season at that point. Where, where is the mindset of this team uh, with, with the postseason ban obviously looming? And then they just come out and light the world on fire and, and get out of there with the win. I, I thought I really, like, 
uh, reassuring performance uh, last week in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. I lived in Connecticut. I don't know where that is. <laughs> yeah, the, at the Mohegans. That place yeah. was that was a wacky place to play in general. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to somebody about that the other day. Just kind of weird. But Caleb Boone coming out party oh, against NC gosh. State. Wasn't that twenty good to points? See. That's yeah. awesome. It, it's great to see because he needs to be a focal part of this offense, especially when teams are going to go heavy zone, like we've seen teams early on against them. Boone's able to catch it at the elbow. He's able to pass from the elbow. He's able to score from the short corner, all spots that you can get to in the zone and make the zone collapse on you and able to pass from there. So the fact that Boone's able to do that and the fact they were able to win the game shooting two of 13 from three. (laughs) Get used to it. Get used to it. Cause I think there's more two for 13 games coming from three. Uh, I thought Rondell had a great game, but you know, back to Caleb Boone. I mean, when, when he catches the ball in the post, you it's almost like the Oklahoma State defense. You expect a jump hook, and it's going in. I mean, if, if they can get the ball to him in the middle of that zone, he's as good as there is uh, in, I would say, the Big 12 and, and beyond. He's almost automatic. He's got, he's got great footwork. Yep. He's got great touchdown there. I mean, 42 points in the paint for Oklahoma State compared to NC State's 24. They also had 32 fast break points. Just – just running all over the Wolfpack. So that was good to see. It obviously helped that North Carolina State had a, a key injury. Their their star big man was out um, and, and wasn't able to play. And so the fact that Oklahoma State was banging around on the inside, 42 points, was not shocking. North Carolina State had some some talent, especially in the backcourt. Um, that kid um, – Sebron was very good, very quick yeah, and athletic points from him. Yeah. 19 points. And it wasn't a fluky night too. It was like that dude could have gone for 30, I think. And uh, <laughs> I, again, I think good for Oklahoma state to get out of there with the win, because as we just talked about off the air, Dustin, this schedule is about to ramp up. You got college of Charleston coming up this week. And then you've got a showdown with, I mean, maybe the, the new Cinderella in college uh, basketball, it was Florida Gulf coast. Now it's Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, you're going to Tulsa next weekend. Um, to take on the Golden Eagles. Yeah. Max Asmus, Kevin O'Banner's not there anymore. Probably a little bit different matchup this year, especially with Noah O'Banner. I think he was really what gave Oklahoma State some issues. Um, so I'll be interested to see. But again, going beyond that, you've got Wichita State next Wednesday. You've got Xavier coming up. There's a matchup against Houston coming up in mid-December. I mean, this schedule is about to really pick up. And I, I'm excited to see what they do against quality competition. Yeah, me too. And like you said, with the schedule, so Ken Palm actually has Oklahoma State projected to win up until that Houston game. They've got a close one in Xavier. They It's showing Oklahoma State 71-69. So I think that's a, what, it says 58% chance to win. But like you said, some tough matchups coming up. We'll have the college, we'll have the Charleston and the Oral Roberts game to talk about when we podcast next. I think we'll podcast probably before that Wichita State game, but we'll hit that in Xavier on the next one. But, Cade, before we kind of wrap up basketball, what what do you make of Avery Anderson's play early on? It's a great question because I, I, I don't quite know. You know, I, I, I was talking to somebody about this. I think it was actually our buddy Joel, and uh, he asked me the same thing. I'm a little bit concerned with him being maybe the focal point for 30 games. We saw him just dominate West Virginia and Morgantown. There were several potential reasons for that, just the style of defense they play, over-aggressive 
in the perimeter and he's at, he's so good off the dribble. Um, mm. Probably a key reason he was able to do that against them, but against a zone defense, which you're going to see a lot of in Baylor, Kansas, I think, especially now that Oklahoma State's put on film that they don't handle it all that well, they better get used to it. And um, Avery in particular, you would, I don't know what it is that he's not doing, but he's not, um, he's not as effective and consistent a three-point shooter as he's going to need to be um, to be a factor consistently. Again, especially against these zone defenses where, you know, you're going to be forced to pass it around the perimeter and he's not um, doing what makes him best when that's what they're having to do on offense. Yeah, and I think to his credit and agree with all the points you made, he's got one of the highest usage, usage rates on the team. I'm pretty sure every game I was just looking it up. So the ball is in his hands, but the fact that Oklahoma State isn't able to spread the floor and open it up from three-point right. range, it doesn't give him enough room to do what he does best and get into the lane. And like you said, he's going to have to figure out different ways to score or even different ways to facilitate. You know, you'd like to see his assist numbers get up if, if he's not going to be able to get into the paint and cause havoc in the scoring department. Right. Right. You, you might want him to start pro poking around on the inside of that zone and kicking it out. Um, it'll be interesting, man. It'll be interesting to see how he handles uh, the physicality of some better teams. Um, to be completely honest, Cowboys got to start making open shots. Um, I mean, Bryce Thompson has not done a good job of that. He's had several open opportunities in transition that just kind of clang off the rim. Um, I mean, Rondell has, has hit a couple shots, but Again, they're going to need more consistency. And as you just mentioned, especially when they're in the half court, I mean, I, I made this point to some friends in the half court, Oklahoma state is a bottom of the big 12 type of team in transition. They are as good as it gets <laughs> in, yeah. in basketball. I mean, they're un. I would, I would think if you get in a track meet with them, you're going to have a tough time beating them, whoever you are, but if you're able to slow them down and get them into their half court, I mean, you could lose to anybody if, if they don't figure out a way to start hitting open shots and to facilitate and create more open shots. Well, they want to run that spread open motion offense that they're able to do against man defense backdoor cuts, passing the ball around, moving it quickly, trying to get something, trying to get driving lanes. But against zone defense, they can't really run that. And like you said, they're just having a lot of trouble in the half court. Yeah, I'll be interested to see again as as the games get harder and the schedule ramps up, what happens. I think they'll figure it out. Again, I, Mike Boynton's teams get better as the year goes on. Uh, and and there's a, a long track record of that. I mean, we got four years that prove that. Um so what they've been great defensively, fantastic defensively They're they're smothering at times um, and they force a ton of turnovers, which is to be expected at this point. So um, again, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens and ready to get up to Stillwater for some basketball, but I'm kind of locked in on football at the current moment. Yeah. Agreed. Same here. All right, Dustin, uh, let's move on to some listener questions. Again, we've kind of teased this. We're going to have two podcasts this week, obviously the tech preview, and then later in the week, we're going to have an OU preview. That one is not going to have listener questions, uh, but this episode will. Obviously, with the OU episode, I think Dustin and I are going to go forever on that, just with the implications of that game and everything else. But we've got a couple of listener questions and a couple of Twitter questions. And again, if you're not familiar, you can drop us a voice question 
at Anchor. And we post this every time we're about to record. You can actually just head over to our Twitter page at Feels Like 45 Pod and find the link right there in our bio. Um, but Dustin, we actually had our first female caller. And the only reason I say that is because that's what she titled it in all caps. First female <laughs> caller. And this is from Carly Gatlin. And I really liked this question. So let's see what she had to say. Hey, this is Carly, 2016, Oklahoma State grad. I have two questions for you guys. The first one is, now that the Big 12 title game spot for us is clinched, do you guys think that that affects um, play calling for Bedlam this Saturday? Will Gundy be feeling more loose, knowing that he can lose this game and still go to the Big 12 championship? Or do you think the game plan will be the same regardless of that fact? Second question is, are you guys superstitious at all? Or do you have any game day traditions that you have to do? Um, after the Iowa State game, a couple of days later, I found this OSU Alumni Association pin in my bag, and I've been using it at work every Friday and Saturday since then, and we've been winning. So I'm thinking it's the pin. Let me know. Thanks. Well, Carly, uh, That's awesome. allow me and Dustin to thank you for your service on the, on the pen. I think you're exactly right. The universe is, yeah. is responding to you, so don't stop now. We're, we're two games Why do we away. even do the podcast? Now we know why they're winning. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Dustin, I mean, uh, to me, I'm not one that even – and this is – boy, this is going to ruffle some feathers. I know Mike Gundy's bedlam record. You know Mike Gundy's bedlam record. I'm not one that believes he approaches this game – and again, the record speaks for itself. But Carly, to answer your question, I do believe the game plan is loose on Saturday. And if you go back and look at several years, uh, 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017, very close games, none of those games Oklahoma State came out on the high side. Even back to 2016, 2014, none of those games Oklahoma State came out on the high side. And boy, I, I know this is going to piss some people off. But I think the whole notion that Gundy approaches this game and tightens up with the way he coaches is very overblown. I think we've said it so long that that's what people say, and they don't really think that through. Oklahoma State's been as competitive in this game as they've ever been. You know, you can throw last year out the window. They, we were an overmatched team. Throw that out the window for this year. I think you are the better team going to this game, you being Oklahoma State. You have the better defense. The offenses are equal. If not, you know, Oklahoma, given edge to Oklahoma State, they've shown more consistency over the last several weeks. So to me, you have no excuse to go in there conservative. I think you got to let it hang loose because at this point, it's not about the Big 12 title. So just because you have a spot wrapped up at this point, you're looking at what could happen if you just win the next two. Right. So I think you'd let it hang loose and see what happens. Yeah, I I just think from what I've seen this season. Oklahoma State, they want to establish their outside zone running game. They want to let that open up the passing game. And then they want to be extremely confusing, bring pressure at times, go, man, go zone, do, just do so many different things on defense. I just think they're going to go into Bedlam like every other game this season and try to establish that game plan, especially on offense. I, I'm sure we'll see some wrinkles. I'm sure we'll see some different formations. If Braden Cassidy's back, I'm sure we'll see some more true 12 personnel cowboy back formations because they've ran so well out of those this season. But I can't see them going. And 
loose and just like throwing it all over the place or doing something way different than the game. No. Plan. So I think it's going to look conservative when you watch the game, but it's going to be because Oklahoma state has, has an identity this season on both sides of the football. And they're just, they think that they're good enough. And I think they're good enough to go into the game with that same game game plan with the defense, knowing they're going to do it and just try to establish it again. It also helps on the offense side of the ball that Baylor who runs kind of a similar wide zone, outside zone scheme ran for 296 yards. You're, you're saying what I'm trying to say, and you're saying it better than I am. When I say, (laughs) let it hang loose. Like the notion is that Gundy approaches this game and everything that they've been doing goes away. And I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's the case. You go back and actually watch these games. Oklahoma state runs trick plays in Bedlam. They throw it down the field. Like, and again, I'm not saying that some of the criticism isn't warranted. I know the Bedlam record, but my, my point is that exactly what you said, Dustin, I don't think they go into a shell. I think they run exactly what they've been doing with some wrinkles. And I, I, to be honest, I thought at times Oklahoma state was aggressive in Lubbock. And, and so I'll be, I'll be interested to see what they do. I don't think it's going to look any different. I completely agree with you. Um, you know, my, my point is just that, you know, when I say they're going to let it hang loose, I think that means they're not going to go into a shell like everybody else assumes yeah. they will because it's bedlam. Yeah, no, that and, and Carly, to answer your second question in terms of superstitions, I don't necessarily have a uh, game day superstition uh, per se. Um, I get up and I watch college game day, eight o'clock, crack a dawn, pour myself a cup of coffee. Uh, and I'm, I mean, typically I'm having a Miller Lite by, by lunchtime. So that <laughs> might be my game day tradition. <laughs> I think my only Oklahoma State one is I normally wear the same pair of these Pistol Pete socks. Oh, that's very superstitious. Unless unless I'm going to the game and I'm wearing shorts for some reason. But if it's if I'm wearing jeans, I'm wearing these same socks. So I think I've worn them to like every game this season. But it's, it's funny, like I'm such a creature of habit just in general. I could eat the same thing for lunch every day. Uh, I go to bed at the same time every day, wake up at the same time. I don't have a game day habit. I just get very nervous. <laughs> I'm very super. I was very superstitious, you know, sports growing up and even still in rec league sports, you know, I'll do for basketball. I'll do what do you, you bring, my you bring bag every time you bring, <laughs> you, know, you bring like, talcum powder, throw it up before you go out. On yeah. The floor. You know, just, just typical things that, you know, anybody would do at a basketball <laughs> game. I'll, I'll bring the orange slices too. And the little cooler, yeah. but yeah, I used to be, and I guess still am in my own, a horrible sports career that no one wants to talk about, but I think with I Oklahoma do. State, yeah, I don't, I don't really have, I don't really have any big superstitions. But Carly, yours is working. Keep doing it. Yeah, keep using that pin because the universe will know if you don't. Carly, thanks for calling in. Do it again sometime. Uh, and a frequent caller here, our buddy Jake, and he says hashtag We Are Good and shout out to the We Are Good movement. <laughs> okay, fellas, say it with me. We are good i for one am irrationally excited about that weekend, but i usually am here's the question we're doing a player swap we are taking one player from ou and they're taking one player from our team to play in this weekend's game who do we pick and who did they pick wow jake that's a fantastic question i typically screen these i hadn't heard that one but i wish i had so it, I had time to think about this. 
assuming that you're saying you swap a player of equal caliber and not that like we take Spencer Rattler and they get, you know, the, the placeholder, uh, assuming yeah, it's a, a, a one-to-one <laughs> trade. Um, this is Our interesting. Our placeholder is, is Hutton though, right? We wouldn't want to give him up. Yeah. Especially not with the, the fire tweets he's firing off right now. Um, do, do you have a thought on this? Cause I, I need a second. And I'm not going to be able to pick an OU player. I don't I know. Him. I hate him too much. <laughs> if, if I was OU, I would just take probably, I know their defensive <laughs> line's really good. Anybody on the defense. Any, yeah, I would take I would take a Malcolm Rodriguez, a Devin Harper, a Colby Harvell Peel, a Christian Holmes. I, I think, you know, obviously their defensive line's really good. And you and I think ours is really good. I, I would say an OU fan probably wouldn't want would say their defensive line is better. So I'd probably take someone in that second or third level if I'm OU. And pretty much you can take anybody if you want. I'm having They're a all really awesome. hard time with this one because honestly, I think for the first time in a very long time, maybe ever, Oklahoma State's depth chart just matches up really well with OU's depth chart uh, on the ones and twos specifically. Um, you know, if it were me, I wouldn't mind seeing like a, a Woody Washington running around back there um, in the secondary. I think he's a really talented young player. But I'll say this. I don't want to give up a, a Jabbar Muhammad or a Corey Black for him. Um, so if it were me, I would say, OK, you know what? I, I just I just figured it out. I'll trade you a backup quarterback for a backup quarterback. We'll take Spencer Rattler. You guys can have Ethan Bullock. There we go. All right. Might cause right. some uh, locker room problems, but yeah. Hey, we'll just see what happens. Jake, thanks for the question, man. Dustin, this was fun. Did we have any Twitter questions, by the way, before we yeah, we have a few. We can we can run through them real quick. Uh, Brian Metcalf, he's got a question, but he just kind of got a statement at the beginning. Brian, thanks as always. You're always killing it with the questions. Would you believe we're we are possibly a week away from Texas finishing last in the Big Twelve? Probably not, but it's fun to think about. No drink comp this week. This is a triple espresso straight into my veins. <laughs> we are Dallas bound. And then he says, I missed the wrestling win. Any takeaways from the duel? I actually didn't get to watch. I was hoping to. I know it was on Big Ten Network. Our buddy Lee, though, on Dynasty Defined is going to have a uh, recap pod coming out. So he'll hit you up with that there. Uh, the next question, we've got Oakley Burklaw. He's at Buffalo Oak. He says, what's your prediction on what happens with Jim Knowles? Are we able to lock him up on a new contract or does he move on this offseason? Great question. Um, I think he's locked up. I think he might already be locked up. That's just my, my gut. I think if, if, if Jim Knowles likes where he's at, if he likes being a defensive coordinator, Oklahoma State and this new administration, again, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, like, you know, feel good emotions coming from Gundy and the new administration in Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg. It seems like they get along really well. I think if Mike Gundy walked into the office tomorrow and said, Jim Knowles needs $2 million, make him the highest paid defensive coordinator in the big 12. I, I would think that that happens yesterday. So yeah. if Jim Knowles likes where he's at and likes being a defensive coordinator, I would expect that he's here next year and beyond. I agree. I, I think, I think they're able to sign him to another contract and get him and keep him here for a little while. Yeah, I love the question, by the way, great shout out on a uh, dynasty to find great podcast that you all should go check out. <laughs> and then the last one, uh, Jacob Ingles from the Ingles and the end podcast, he's asking, uh, 
about a crossover episode with the Ingles and Ian. Hey, could be possible down the road. Jacob, thanks for, uh, thanks for tweeting at us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Jacob, shout out to you guys. You guys are doing a good thing over there and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it in mind as we go forward. Dustin, this was fun, man. Um, again, we've got an OU pod coming up next week, so I don't want to put the cart before the horse or later in the week. I said next week. Great talking to you, man. We'll talk to you later in the week. As always, you can follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod on Twitter. You can follow him at Dust Ragu and follow me at Cade Webb. And we'll talk to you guys later in the week. Go Pokes. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code feels 12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, symbol will refund your initial deposit with no questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code feels 12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today.